Mona Lisa Day in Washington. In the West Statuary Hall of the National Gallery of Art, nearly 2,000 first-nighters, including the First Lady, stunning in a long pink dress, see President Kennedy introduce the world's most famous painting to Americans. Welcome back to 10-Minute Masterpieces, where we explore curious stories behind the world's most renowned works of art. I'm Liz Legit. I'm an art advisor and gallery owner in Des Moines, Iowa. In this episode, Mona Lisa Part 2, we will continue to learn about the most talked about smile in the world. If you haven't yet listened to our first episode about Mona Lisa, we recommend checking out Part 1 before continuing with this episode about how the First Lady of the Renaissance keeps making her mark, even in our modern world. When President John F. Kennedy and his wife arrived in Paris in the spring of 1961 for a state visit, they were well-received by the French public. After all, Jackie Kennedy was fluent in French, interested in the arts, and loved Paris. France and the First Lady were charmed by each other. À Versailles s'achève le séjour de JFK et de sa femme Jackie, que la France fut si heureuse de recevoir. I come from America, the daughter of Europe, to France, which is America's oldest friend. But I come today not because merely past ties and past friendship, but because the present relationship between France and the United States is essential for the preservation of freedom around the globe. During the visit, a friendship began between Mrs. Kennedy and the French Minister of Culture, Georges-André Malraux, who took the First Lady on a tour of French cultural and artistic treasures. A year later, upon Mrs. Kennedy's invitation, Malraux visited Washington, D.C., where the First Lady took the French Minister on a private tour of the National Gallery of Art. During this visit, Mrs. Kennedy said to Malraux, I would love to see the Mona Lisa again and show her to the Americans. That evening, a state dinner at the White House was a collection of America's most influential cultural icons, meticulously curated by Jackie Kennedy herself. The guest list included renowned violinist Isaac Stern, who entertained guests with a concert in the East Room. Other distinguished guests included abstract expressionist Mark Rothko, realist painter Andrew Wyeth, Pulitzer Prize-winning writer Thornton Wilder, playwright Tennessee Williams, aviator Charles Lindbergh and his wife, writer Anne Morrow Lindbergh. As the magical evening in Camelot came to a close, in a moment caught on film, Minister Malraux whispered to the First Lady, Je vais vous envoyer le Joconde, meaning, I will send you the Mona Lisa. Months of negotiations, logistics, and controversy about this whispered promise ensued, all while the Cuban Missile Crisis was escalating. The United States arrived at the decision for an arms blockade after studying reconnaissance photographs made with high-powered cameras from planes flying several miles from the Cuban coast. The U.S. threw up a steel fence prepared to stop any vessel carrying materials of war. Safely transporting a fragile masterpiece across a frigid winter ocean in the midst of an international military standoff was no small task. Despite the numerous challenges and objections to her journey, the Mona Lisa arrived in New York Harbor aboard the SS France on December 19, 1962, where she was given her own Secret Service detail. On January 8, 1963, the Mona Lisa was unveiled at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. The opening reception was a veritable who's who of American government and culture, including most members of Congress, the Supreme Court, and the President's Cabinet. Mr. Minister, this painting is the second lady that the people of France have sent to the United States. And though she will not stay with us as long as the Statue of Liberty 
Our appreciation is equally great. Kennedy's speech at the unveiling underscored the allyship between France and the United States. He positioned the Mona Lisa as a Cold War symbol of Western ideals of freedom in stark contrast to the repression of communism. The enigmatic smile acts like a magnet to both art lovers and the curious. The gallery is jammed as the crowd passes by the painting four abreast. Some stand in line repeatedly for just one more glimpse of the smile that has launched a thousand arguments. The Mona Lisa was on public display in the nation's capital until February, when it moved to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, before returning home to the Louvre in March of 1963. During her three-month American tour, nearly two million people lined up to see the Renaissance lady and her mesmerizing grin, including one of the artists we represent here at the gallery. Hunt Slonum is an internationally acclaimed artist whose paintings hang in museums and galleries around the world. Hunt will always have a special place in my heart because he was one of the first artists to say yes to be represented by Liz Legit Gallery. Hunt shared these memories about his first time seeing the Mona Lisa. It came to Washington, D.C. when I was in junior high school. My parents took me to see it. It was at the National Gallery, and I remember it was in the evening, and there was a lot of protocol, and not security like today, but there were guards and guns. And I was surprised at how unobstructed my view of it was and how it was just right there and how the scale was much smaller than I even anticipated. And it was on this big red velvet curtain, I remember. I don't know why the Mona Lisa has captivated the world other than for its masterful skill. It's not that it's not a great painting. I mean, nobody can paint that. I mean, nobody on this planet could do a da Vinci. And who was she? That's the other kind of mystery about it. It's one of those things that's of a moment in time and a historical exclamation point for so many reasons. And very few things rock the world that way. Nearly 10,000 people filed by Mona Lisa the first day, making her by far the most popular hostess in Washington. Everybody wants to meet the new girl in town. The Mona Lisa's American tour inspired pop artist Andy Warhol to produce a collection of screen-printed and multicolored Mona Lisas. The series captured the zeitgeist of the time in 1963 when America was consumed with Mona mania after the Art Icons U.S. tour. Warhol's series also commented on the connection between high art and mass-produced consumer culture. Warhol's Mona Lisa series is just one of countless parodies by artists, including Marcel Duchamp's 1919 Dadaist ready-made collage created from a cheap Mona Lisa postcard on which Duchamp drew a mustache and a beard in pencil and renamed the masterpiece L-H-O-O-Q. The five-letter name is a gramogram. The letters pronounced in French sound like Elle a chaud a cool, which roughly translates to she has a hot ass. The Mona Lisa played a role in Dan Brown's best-selling thriller, The Da Vinci Code. Here's Tom Hanks as Professor Robert Langdon and Audrey Tattoo as cryptologist Sophie Nouveau in a nighttime scene at the Louvre with the Mona Lisa from Ron Howard's 2006 film adaptation. Her smile is in the lower spatial frequencies. See, she appears larger from the left than on the right. Historically, the left was female, the right was male. The sacred feminine. Sophie raises a black light to the painting, revealing a cryptic message scrawled on the Mona Lisa. So dark, the con of man. Moon. Sermon. 
Charms, demons, omens, codes, monks, ranks, rocks. Madonna of the rocks. Da Vinci. Despite, or maybe because of her fame, the Mona Lisa has been vandalized many times over the years. In the 1950s, the painting was placed under protective glass after a visitor poured acid on her. And another hit her with a rock, causing damage to her left elbow. Ouch! In 1974, a Japanese disability rights activist sprayed the Mona Lisa with red paint. In 2009, a visitor hurled a teacup at her. And in May of 2022, a climate activist dressed as an elderly woman jumped out of a wheelchair, smeared cake all over her bulletproof glass, and threw roses at the crowd in the gallery until he was taken into custody by museum security. The Mona Lisa holds the Guinness World Record for the highest insurance value in the art market. In 1962, ahead of her journey to the U.S., the Mona Lisa was insured for $100 million. That would be $870 million in today's money. However, under French heritage law, the Mona Lisa cannot be bought or sold. She is truly priceless. Personally, I love the way that this mysterious woman from over 500 years ago continues to captivate the world. I feel like she's a woman with secrets, but what woman isn't? I think that's part of why the Mona Lisa intrigues people, because there's so much unknown. Scholars often discuss the painting's masculine and feminine qualities. Some art historians argue whether over time the portrait became less Lisa Gherardini and more da Vinci himself because he carried it around for so long and kept working and working on it. For me, the Mona Lisa incorporates so many layers. There's been theft and she's traveled the world, but even beyond that, she is a woman that represents all women. Her subtle smile endures with an enchanting power that grabs universal attention, from first ladies to tourists, to activists, to thieves, to England's rocket man, Sir Elton John. Ten Minute Masterpieces is a production of Liz Legit Gallery and is produced by Mary Beth Romslow. Special thanks to Hunt Slonum and Allison Daka. Check out our show notes for credits to this episode and links to more info about the Mona Lisa, including Margaret Leslie Davis's Vanity Fair article, The Two First Ladies, which is a must read for every art history lover. Join us next time when we take a look into a daring self-study of duality called The Two Fridas by Frida Kahlo. Until then, I hope you take 10 minutes and look at some art today. You might just discover your favorite masterpiece. <laughs>